Hello and welcome to this podcast series in which we explore the other ethnic identities in London, especially within the equality and diversity monitoring forms and the national statistics. Over the following 10 episodes, we will create a space for immigrants and members of the other ethnic groups to share our voices, developing a sense of community and belonging. My name is JC Candanido. And I'm Sanya Abdurrahman. And, and this, this is, is the, the other checkbox. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Other Checkbox, a podcast that was born from our continuous conversation and debates on identity and not feeling represented or belonging, where we will be interviewing individuals to share their stories, insights, and experience, and together we will explore the other ethnic identities in London. In today's episode, I have the pleasure to discuss Arab identity and representation in the UK and how does that affect your sense of identity and your feeling of belonging with Sandy Abdelrahman, a migrant woman of color, an activist, a creative social entrepreneur, and the co-founder of Scaped, who will be sharing with us what it is like to grow up as an immigrant woman of color in the UK. Hello, Sandy. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, JC. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited for this um, podcast and to just to like, yeah, share my experience with everyone. I am as well, because I feel like I'm going to learn so much about you today. So please, <laughs> before we start, may you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your identity. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Sandy. I'm an Egyptian uh, born and raised until I was 12. I am an Arab woman of color, a migrant background, a Muslim a freedom fighter, a daughter, a lover, all the thing that makes me who I am and an activist. But in my work, I am also a creative social entrepreneur who try to look for change um, through ourselves and through communities. And you forget to say my dear friend and collaborator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> add that to the list. <laughs> exactly. So speaking about collaborations and this project uh, that we're doing on the diversity and inclusion forms, do you feel represented in them or even in your industry? No, I don't think I ever feel represented in them, even when they're lately starting putting Arab, but because they're putting it in a way like others and in bracket Arabs, etc. So you already feel like underrepresented and you feel the minority of the minority. But I never felt like I represented them. So when I moved to the UK at age of 12, I was the only Arab um, and Egyptian in the whole school. So I was the only one that needed to speak Arabic. And then they weren't very much understanding other diversities. And because this thought I come from Arab, I'm like, oh, she's Muslim, let's put him in that category, which I am a Muslim woman, but it was just kind of the way how the world have looked at me. And I don't feel like there is a community that have, that I felt belong to when I moved to the UK. So long, long answer shorts. I don't think I ever felt belong in, in that uh, forms. That is very interesting. And I, I love that you said the minority of the minority because when they put you in those sort of boxes that's how you, they make you feel I also found really interesting that you said that because you were Arab automatically they assume that you must be Muslim and then this is the sort of like support that you must get um, which I'm sure that we're going to talk a little bit more uh, on that later on um, how has this representation impacted your life then it have really affected me I think growing up um I felt because I didn't belong I, I was not I was the only Arab but I was the only 
Egyptian in the whole school and six forms and university. So I really wanted to fit in and I didn't want to be different. And I think I remember I got to a time where I pretended that I didn't speak Arabic because I was so scared of how the world would look at me. Um, and I remember even when my mom called, I was like being really quiet on the phone for people not to hear me. Um, because I didn't, I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like there's any space for me. Um, and the only Arabs or only Egyptians around were my family. I think when we moved to the UK, a lot of people when they move to different countries, they always look at where the communities are gonna be and then they move there, but we definitely moved to East London, um, which is, it's an, it's an, I love East London, it's very diverse, but the lack of representation of Arabs then was very, very little. So we didn't have any connection. So the only people that I felt I was, I was speaking Arabic with was only my parents and my family. So that felt like that was very close to who I am and my identity, but outside, I was like, oh, you're the different. And because of how I look as well, a lot of people would have an assumption of where I am from. And I, I very <laughs> I very much remember people would be like, oh, but you're from there, not but you're from there, you're from there. But I was always thought I am Egyptian and it's so embedded in who I am and my culture and my everyday life that even being an Arab, I'm like, oh, I am Arabic. I will speak Arabic, but I am Egyptian. It's so much stronger in my identity than just being an Arab. I, I can relate so much to what you just said, especially the part where being a child, um, you were afraid of speaking in Arabic on the phone with your mom because you didn't want other people to, to find out. I, I, I can tell you that as a 47-year-old man, when I'm on the tube today in 2021, if someone who speaks either Catalan or Spanish calls me on the phone, I don't answer because I don't want to speak a foreign language because, you know, a fear of maybe being attacked or just because I don't want to, you know, call all that attention to me. So I can only imagine what it must feel like for a 12-year-old to, to live that experience, especially if they don't see themselves represented in the area where they live. And yeah. that um, sort of like ties into my question of how does your ethnic identity affect your sense of belonging to a community? And you said that when you moved to East London, there wasn't a community that you could call your own. So I'm, I'm curious to find out if today you have found that community. Mm. So in terms of has it affected my sense of belonging, it has, and so far it still does. Because I think when we work around the diversity and inclusion for, I feel like it brings more segregation than uh, inclusivity and people working together because you're like, okay, which community you are, which I, I understand that it's really important and it really helps in terms of understanding different communities and how to work with them. But realistically, if you come from a community that is not represented, you automatically think, oh no, it's me, I'm by myself, I have to do the change. So I don't feel like I fitted anywhere because I, I was usually when I meet people like, oh my God, you're the only Egyptian person that I know. And they start like asking me a lot of questions about Egypt, which I don't mind, but sometimes I'm like, I don't, we're like 100 million <laughs> Egyptians in <laughs> Egypt. I cannot speak on behalf of everyone. And you have people who be like, oh my God, you're Egyptian. I had a kid once at my school, he was Egyptian. And he's like, I don't know what to do with this information. It does not help. <laughs> Where I don't I know go? that kid, I swear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think what it also what it also does, it makes me create my own community. Um, which I kind of seeked. I think I connected a lot to people who come from 
other ethnic again I don't like minorities but from other ethnic identities that are not completely white British um, and that's because we kind of share the same experience of feeling not belonging of feeling sadly like a second class citizen or feeling oppressed but through the system of how the world has see us so we connect on that we connect to food we connect to the culture we connect to like oh my god can you imagine someone did that you know because of how we is and then I, I created my own community I have friends from all over the world are all over different ethnic identities because I feel like this is how we even become stronger in terms of becoming belonging to an Arab or Egyptian community I have I I can't say that I do belong in any of that because I also feel like I, I I have created my own identity and I feel like my own identity might clash with that or might be different because Arab identities come from all over the world, all from the Middle East, so they all have different identities. So there's nothing specifically that will be like I completely belong to. Yes, I totally, I totally understand that. And like we, you and I have discussed this in other episodes with other people that we have interviewed about the, um, the use of nationalities in, this, in these forms, because basically what they're trying to say is that if you come from Egypt, every, everyone in Egypt looks and feels the same way and has the same identity that you have. And Egypt is such a rich uh, and diverse country that it's impossible for you to fit in all the different possible Egyptian communities in, in the world outside of Egypt. Exactly, exactly. And actually a fun fact that until the mid fifties, Egypt was not considered an Arabic country. It was when we had the president Abdel Nasser, he was a very much pan-African, pan-Arab that was written in the constitution that Egypt is an Arabic country. So that, <laughs> that takes us back to like how much we think of ourselves as Egyptian. And obviously we're Arabs now and we love Arab and we always have been Arabic as well, lately as well. But it's how, how our Egyptian identity is so much stronger to our individuality than our Arab identity. That I find that completely fascinating. And I'm going to touch on this a little bit later because I want to ask you about this. But, but before I continue, I want to ask you about the diversity monitoring forms, which are the, the subject of this uh, podcast. Um, do you think they're useful? Um, and, um, and if they are or if they aren't, in which way? I think they are useful when they're actually being acted upon. I don't think diversity and inclusion forms should be just about collecting data. It should be about knowing how to use this data to do good in, in the community or the world. Meaning if you are gonna collect data on how many Latinos or Arabs or um, Asian or Chinese, etc., in your organization, you need to act on that. Meaning you have to have the actual uh, system in place are keeping in mind okay we need to be inclusive with this if we have that many muslims then and that many is jewish or that many other religion faiths maybe we need to have uh different rooms for like or a prayer room etc that actually be able to tailor what you're delivering and what your organization doing and what the community is doing to people's needs rather than be like oh here we go we have three people of color on our organization so we're good to go because Diversity inclusion for it's just it's more than just race. It's a lot to do as well with religion, sexuality, identities. So it has to be acted upon to feel everyone's welcome. I, I completely agree. I couldn't agree more uh, with you. Um, so 
now that I have asked you about the form, um, let's go back to, to what you were saying about Egypt. So growing up in Egypt, do you remember if you had um, a strong sense of identity? Yes, definitely. Growing up in Egypt, we were always told we're Egyptian. If it's not by my parents, it's by everything in society and the community. I mean, I remember my favorite TV show, which used to come in Ramadan that time, is called Bakar. And the actual song was like, I'm Egyptian, that my blood of ancestor grew up in my blood in my veins. Uh, you know, whatever responsibility for a child. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like this little boy that goes back in time and help like have his relationship with that and sisters and the pharaohs. And it was just like so Egyptian. But also growing up in school, we used to get every morning in school, we used to actually stand up and sing the, uh, the national anthem to the flag um and it might sound a bit like oh my god <laughs> a bit too scary but we are so embedded into our culture of who we are as Egyptians that when I moved to the UK I struggled with that because that was just so strong and we got to a, a massive point when I was doing um diversity inclusion forms that I always write down Egyptian because I was like, this is an identity. We're one of the oldest civilization on the planet. For God's sake, we give you the paper that you actually write on. How could you us in a way of not adding us in there? So I, I don't understand. And also I struggled to be like, okay, so you have or oh, black and white and et cetera, but you also have a nationalities. Um, which I got really confused of. It's like, okay, do I put down I'm Arab? Do I put down I'm North African, Egyptian? It's just a, a confusion towards who I am. And I feel like whatever I write, I don't feel like I do not feel like it, be, it would be 100% who I am because everything that I mentioned earlier and it's a few identities makes who I am and make who my ethnicity as well. And this is very similar to the experiences that we have been hearing from all the people that we have interviewed. Um, so when you moved to the UK, um, you mentioned that that sense of identity um, got into conflict with what you saw in these forms. But beyond those forms, how did, did this uh, sort of like conflicting identity uh, uh, change you? And do you think um, if your family went through a similar experience? Mm, I find that, in, that question really interesting because I think when it, it changed was my age, I would say, because moving to the UK at age of 12, my main worry was fitting in or belonging or feeling that sense of community, even if I have to let go of some of my identity, but just the, the fact that like, oh yeah, I can speak English really well with an accent, or I don't actually speak Arabic, oh look at the way I dress, oh I don't know about this, but as I getting older and getting older and like connecting more to my identity and my parents are very Egyptian so we speak Arabic at home all the time my dad is very Egyptian like I know songs from like the 1919 just because of how he's always like he's so well known into like how amazing our culture is so he's always been educating me about it uh, but I also find it's interesting how people have looked at Arabs and people from MENA region during the times from I was 12 until lately. So when I moved to the UK, being the only Arabs in school, me and my sisters, I remember people thought that we were rich. Really? Wish, yeah, because Arabs are like, oh, it's, it's, their mind goes specifically to the Gulf countries and be like, why are you here? Why are you not in central London? And 
when the Arab Spring happened, which I think, I think that was a milestone in my life. And I think that was the most moment I felt so proud to be an Egyptian. And that was when I started my activism and taking roles in various other forms of bringing awareness. But a year or two after the Arab Spring, people thought my family came as refugees, mm. which is, again, it's an interesting turn of like how the world will see you because the media represent that we're all rich, we come here with our Ferraris, our golf Ferraris, we will just ride around in central London to the media sees the downfall of countries after the Arab Spring, and therefore we all came as refugees. And I think this is, makes it a massive point, specifically for Arabs who live in the UK, on the lack of representation of Arab in the media, in the creative industry, in other forms. Of industries in the UK that has a that has a place and a role in that representation because we're not seen, we're not seen as Arabs. And when you talk about Arabs, and I think as it comes in, a lot of people just think Muslims. Like the other day, I think I was because I did a project called Meet an Arab Woman. I was actually going like Arab representation in the UK, and the only things that came out on Google was Muslim women uh, violation that happened to them, which is. Again, it's, oh, no. it's completely like hard, heartbreaking to hear. But there's the whole thing that if you're Muslim, you're Arab. If you're Arab, you're Muslim, vice versa. And I think there is a lack of understanding there. We have Christianity. We have other beliefs as well in in the Middle East. So I think it's um, it's just, yeah. I think it's it's a, it's an interesting journey that I had to take of finding out where do I belong. Um, and taking it back to your question, I think me and my younger sister have that experience, similar experience, not completely the same, but because we came younger, like I came 12 and I think she was eight, while it is different than my old sister, who my old sister came a bit older, but I think my sister, when she came, she was the kind of person that was like helping my parents, setting up some stuff, doing the translation, so she, she kind of grew up quite quickly. So I don't think she had time to actually sit down and think. It was her of like, we need to get to stuff. We need to get, do this, we need to do that. All right, what, this is the right paper that we need to do. So she kind of grew up quite quickly. And because she came at an older, while we came at a younger age, so we got to kind of experience both identity intersect and also both identity clash. And I think that a lot of them, um, a lot of people that come from a very rich ethnic background that grew up in that in the various countries that come from a very strong culture, when they come to a Western country, the clash in both identities is strong. Like there's various times I have identity crisis of like, but who am I really? Because I don't feel like I belong here and I don't think I belong there. And if I go there, do I really belong? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised to hear what you're saying. And you and I have often spoken um, about how sometimes we see ourselves, how other people see us. And if in the media you're being represented in a certain way, um, that's how you end up seeing yourself. And it's interesting that there's also this image that you are describing that the media has created of what it means to be Arab. Like you are a good Arab or a good immigrant if you come from an old country and you are someone with money, you're welcome here, you can do business, you can have your you know, super fast uh, sports cars and live in central London. 
But if you come from the other type of Arab, then you're not so good. You must definitely be Muslim because that's automatically the label that you get. And um, you are not considered to be as good as an Arab as the other type of Arab. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised that you experience uh, this sort of like conflict um, of identity. I wanted to ask you also, and in relation to this, um, if you think that um, there is a conflict um, for immigrants between wanting to integrate in their new host country, like what you explained, uh, the experience that your sister had, where she had like this um, priority, which was to get, you know, to just come here, integrate and move on and, you know, move on with your lives, but also a conflict between that and keeping your identity as an immigrant. I think definitely there is there is a strong conflict between that. Um, I think it's 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 a conflict of also feeling acceptance and feeling belonging. And we have seen it through times like how even when I'm on the train, <laughs> interestingly enough, because of the way I look, and a lot of people think I look mixed race, so they always be like, "Oh, you look mixed race." I get Latinos, so they don't know how that they can't actually the exotic look. They don't know where I come from. <laughs> And I've been told that before. So people have a different perspective of who I am. When I travel with my mom, who's a Muslim woman, wear a headscarf, definitely an Arab, I feel like people look at us differently because they then somehow put me in a box of like, we know who you are, we know where you're from. And I think that is scary because that is how people tried and especially when I speak to my mom in Arabic on a train, I can see the eyes uh, changing to toward us. And I think this is why a lot of people, when they move to like a country like UK, they try so much to learn the culture, which is great to learn the culture, the language, what to do, what not to do. But also they, they got to the point where they're letting go of the culture. And I've seen like Egyptians that I know who, like my parents' age, when they moved to the UK, they completely didn't speak Arabic at all at home because they wanted them to like English, English to the point that the kids have had actually don't speak Arabic at all. And that's something that my parents were very much like, no, you're going to learn English, but you're going to speak Arabic because this is where you are, this is your identity, and you're not letting go. Um, and then we actually do that with my younger niece, um, where we're like, she learns. English anyway but we speak to her in Arabic at home we teach her about you know Egypt and this is the food and we make Egyptian food and you know the toys and stuff that we bring and eat but I think this is what makes if we keep both identities if both identities are, are acceptable then this is how we make a better world as a multicultural community a multicultural society it's not just saying I am from there but also I embody both the cultures um, maybe that I think we have, I'm seeing more and more younger generations are owning up to that, are owning up to be intersection, are owning up to having identities that is different. While in the old days, because I mean, when we moved to the UK and sadly the racism and you know, the Islamophobia and anti-Semitics, all this stuff that made you feel like you can't belong unless you get stripped away from that community, unless you get stripped away from the identity. But I'm really glad to see there's more and more young people owning up to this. They say like, no, I'm Arab, no, I'm Latino, no, I'm Japanese. 
or you know our identities like this is who I am and this is what makes me perfect is that I have both identities in me I, I, I think that I, I completely agree with, with what you're saying. And I think there, there is a confusion when people think about integration of immigrants. Um, people think that integration means, uh, like you say, means getting rid of everything that you brought from your past and then becoming fully um, the identity of your host country. So I think, uh, and I think that if you ask a lot of the majority of immigrants would tell you that they do try to learn the language of their host country and they do try to adapt to the new traditions and they too, do try to embrace everything as possible with the new country because I mean this is what they're they're going to make this place their new home so obviously and I say they but I mean we like we understand that that we must do it but that but wouldn't it be better for everyone if also we were allowed to keep our own identities and our own traditions it would be more enriching for the host country and it would create a space where we feel welcomed i think i completely agree with what you're saying and i think unless you tr you migrate to a different country you do not that do not speak your language and i'm specifically talking about people who live in the global south move into the global north because this is a completely different perspective if you're a western a uk white person moving to another country because he never looked at us as an immigrant in the same way but is how scary it is for families for individuals to migrate to that countries and try so hard to fit in and being pushed back is how scary it is to make sure that you're surviving is how scary it is that you know you know that you need to bring food in in, in the table for your kids and there's no support it's how scary it is that you do not know despite all your papers are legal you might somehow get kicked out of the country it's all these little things and it's still scary it's still scary with government making new policies about like someone like me out of nowhere could be kicked out of the country just because i'm both british and egyptian and have done nationality that is scary. That's scary. It's like we still seen as a second world, second class citizen in a country that we live in and we commit so much and we help so much and we, we are part of this community. So it's just like an understanding if migrant person feel this way, how a refugee person would feel where they do not have any people, they don't have any place that they can call home and safe. So it's just a, like a conversation to have. Definitely. And I think that you said something before when we were speaking about something else. Uh, you mentioned that sometimes you were made feel like you represented your people. And that made me think of something that you just said now, like we would never be able to know the experiences of others if we don't hear what they say or if they, if they don't engage in conversations about their experiences. I think the project that you and I are doing um, in trying to bring all these people and talk about their experiences of their ethnic backgrounds and their experiences with this uh, diversity and inclusion forms. It's a way for people who are listening to this podcast to ask questions and to wonder and to have those inner dialogues and say and think, oh, there are other people who, who are like me or, oh, there are other people who are different to me and they exist and they understand. It sort of like humanizes all these people who are, are coming into the country precisely uh, for for what you're saying about um, government policies and all this very aggressive message that you get constantly on the news and constantly on the streets 
that remind you every single day you are not from here and the government is not going to welcome you, right? Exactly, it's exactly this. And I remember when we were talking about the project and starting this project, I mean, me and you, JC, have so many conversations about identity and the sense of belonging and do we ever belong anywhere? And I think this is why we started this project is that we're not alone. There's other people that feels this, especially lately, there's more and more people starting feeling like this. And instead of us sitting down and complaining, we are doing something about it. And I think this is important is that you start conversation, you start exploring this. It's like exploring what is your identity? How much are you doing to the community? And I think especially with a place like London, which is very, very much a culture, it is, it is a point that we need to educate ourselves on that. It is our job to understand different culture, to reach out to different culture, but in a respectful way, was it going like, okay, so I have pen and paper, how could I come to your culture? It's not about that, it's about embracing these cultures as well. Yeah, making people uh, feel welcome. And speaking of culture and all these different ethnic backgrounds throughout this whole conversation, we have learned that you are Egyptian, that you are Northern African, that you are Arab, but also that you're a Muslim woman. And I was trying to understand how all these different identities coexist. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a hard question. Because sometimes, I think it exists because I look at them as an intersection between all of them. They're, they all intersect one way or another into my everyday life. Um, and I try to look at them as a way how I can live in harmony with myself rather than in a conflict. Um, I think it's when you look at one of this identity as an individual, this become a problem for me because I do not just want to be defined as just like a Muslim woman or a woman of color or an Egyptian or a migrant because I'm all of that and each of them intersecting who makes me who I am. But the issue is how people see me because then they put me in a box and there's places that they I've been there and because they don't know who I am and where I'm from, they're like, oh yeah, so we have that person of colour in here, we tick. And I'm like, ah, but I'm more than just that. Um, I have come from so much experience. And it's just that, that I, the understanding of how this is so important to individuals when you have so many identities that make your personality and makes who you are. Yeah, most definitely. And it sort of reminds me of your experience that you were explaining before of people telling you at school, oh, we, you are the first Egyptian that we know. Or I remember there was another kid in school who was also Egyptian and it, gave, it gives you this feeling, okay, so now I am the official representation of all Egyptians and I must know all Egyptians. And it gives you that feeling that why do I have to educate you on what being Egyptian um, is? But at the same time, I think there's that duality as well where because you have experienced that in your flesh you don't want other people to experience it as well so if you haven't found those spaces that are welcoming to you then you're trying to create those spaces for other people and i think it fits into what you were saying about our responsibility i think that you and i have taken this as a, a, as our duty to make other people help but other people not go through the same experiences that you and I have gone through and trying to create the spaces where we can have these conversations and where people are safe feel safe to tell you I am mixed I am not from here this is my language this is my food this is where I come from exactly I think what we did is we started that conversation but is it it is for the individual to go on and carry on the research and carry on the learning because as much as we could do we 
are sharing one person's identity, we're sharing one person's lived experience, but the other communities have different experience. Like, you know, you know, JC, obviously people from Brahma might have completely different experience than you, especially mixed people. And so, so am I being Egyptian and being an Arab and being Muslim and being a woman of color and a migrant and a lot of that. So we're just starting a conversation to be like, this is why this is important. This is what we need this. But do your research, carry on this, carry on that kind of drive as well. And, and speaking about other countries, we're having these conversations. Uh, you and I are not from here. We're having these conversations here in the UK. Do you think it's easier to speak about this than it is back home? Especially you mentioned before the mid 20th century sort of like the identity of the country was changed to be in an Arab country. So it, it, it makes me really wonder if those conversations are, are possible back in Egypt. Um, so I think being in Egypt is completely different than in the UK or other countries that are very multicultural. So despite that Egypt has seen different cultures coming in and like, um, you know, just settling in Egypt, it's still very Egyptian, so we don't actually do the diversity and inclusion forms at all in Egypt. You are, if you are born in you are Egyptian, you have Egyptian parents. Obviously, there's other identities, but it's not it's not on uh, it's not on the surface at all of like where you're from. And I think it's it's to do with Egypt as being a welcoming country, um, and that's it's, it's to do with like oh you're now in Egypt now you're gonna learn our food and have do learn our dance and how to cook this and, you know, help in that. Um, so I, I, I see it as more of a welcoming thing in Egypt. That's, that's not to say there's obviously some to do with problematic stuff, but I don't think it was gonna come in at all in the idea of like in, in diversity in Egypt because we're not as a diverse multicultural as other countries at all. Like so it would be, can, sorry. So it would be easier to have that conversation here than there, or would it be different? I think it depends on how useful it is. I think when when looking at the UK, because of the the diversity of the UK, the uh, specific the multicultural of London, it is useful to have it there because it it's, a, it's about that representation. But if you go to a country like Egypt, where there's this, I would say it's ninety nine percent. Egyptian is how much is this gonna be creating change and if it is about creating a change which is important it needs to be done right and it needs to be led right I couldn't agree more and mm -hmm. uh, Sandy thank you so much for sharing with us today uh, your lived experience of growing up as an immigrant Arab woman of color in the UK has been really educational and inspiring Thank you so much for having me. I completely enjoyed this interview and the podcast. Thank you so much. This has been Ava Checkbox, a 10-episode podcast exploring London's other ethnic identities. I'm Sandy Abdurrahman. And I'm Jason Kandanido. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for a different episode each month.